Welcome to the Thurfield Chapel Sermon Podcast. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome. Great to see you here uh, this morning. Welcome if you're watching online. Um, if you don't know already, my name's Paul. Uh, I serve as part of the leadership team here as a, an elder and pastor at Thurfield Chapel. And um, actually, just briefly, quick plug with Kings Park. The first, we first went to Kings Park two years ago, uh, whilst it was still part of the interview process. Um, I hadn't actually started here at Thurfield Chapel. We were invited to come along, and we thought this could be a great opportunity to get to know people, but it could be incredibly intense. A whole weekend, um, basically a weekend of interview in some ways. Uh, fortunately, we had a bit of a get-out clause on the Saturday. We needed to go and go to a birthday party, which was kind of down the road, so we could get away, and we thought that would be a nice break. Actually, though, we didn't need it. Uh, it was a lovely time, even though it had that potential to feel very intense coming in uh, in that sort of interview stage. It was a great way to get to know people. So if you are still kind of debating, should I come, should I not come, uh, we can certainly recommend from our experience. Uh, it's a lovely weekend to be part of. Great to get to know people uh, a bit more. But um, we're going somewhere else this morning, not to King's Park, but to the house of Martha uh, and Mary. And so as we come to look at this, as Andrew said, yeah, keep your Bibles open. That will help. Uh, and let's pray first. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your kindness towards us. Lord, and we pray that we would see uh, more of who you are as revealed in Jesus Christ as we come and we meditate now uh, on this passage. Amen. Well, I want you to think of your favorite place to eat out. Where's your favorite place to eat out? Hold that uh, in your mind. James, you're smiling like you want to tell me. Okay, well, that's not going to work, is it? Um, so think of somewhere maybe that you like eating out. It might be the Fox and Duck across the road. It might be Jolly Post. It might be any number of places. Because I want you to uh, imagine a friend now is taking you out to your favorite place to eat. And they've said to you, we're going to pay. This is our treat. So you go to your favorite place to eat, and you turn up and you're carrying some carrier bags. Uh, your friend looks at you, maybe a little bit perplexed at first, but quickly assumes, you know, just done a bit of shopping before we come and eat, thinks nothing more of it. So you go in to the restaurant, you sit down, you place your carrier bags down the side by your chair and open the menu. And there on the menu is your favorite dish your favorite meal, and your favorite place to eat out, your favorite meal, your friend reminds you, this is my treat. Sky's the limit, whatever you want. So you know what you're going to eat. And they talk about what they may be going to have. Before someone comes to take your order, though, you find yourself rummaging through these carrier bags and taking out a variety of ingredients. You then wander off to the restaurant kitchen. And you're a little daunted by the sight that you see because you're not used to this kitchen setup and this layout and you don't know where everything is. Actually, you don't really know how to cook the recipe um, 
for the things that are on the menu. And to make matters worse, there's this person wearing this white shirt who keeps getting in the way and using all the utensils in the kitchen. And you try pushing them out the way because they're hindering what you're trying to do. You get so frustrated, you call the management. And the management come in and you say, look, this, this setup's not working. These people, they're hindering me from preparing this meal. And they look at you slightly perplexed and maybe somewhat sympathetic and say, you're in the wrong place. You're not, you're not here to provide the meal. You're here to have the meal provided for you. You're meant to be out there. Now, it's a slightly absurd example. I don't imagine anyone here would ever actually do that. Might be a few who'd be tempted. It's not likely to happen uh, in real life, and yet something very similar happens in our lives day after day after day. So we're going to see in this account of Martha uh, and Mary. So we're continuing our series in Luke's gospel. This gospel, a collection of eyewitness reports from the first century, the life of Jesus, written to demonstrate how Jesus is indeed the fulfillment of all God's plans, of all God's promises. And from the very beginning, his purpose has been that the blessing of his presence extends over the whole earth. At this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus is journeying to Jerusalem. And he's already told the disciples he must go to Jerusalem and there he must be rejected. He must be killed and after three days be raised to life. And he's told his disciples that following him will mean experiencing rejection. Because he will be rejected. But that's not the whole story. Jesus has also said that the harvest is plentiful. Now, there are going to be those who will reject the message of Jesus, who will reject his messengers, but there are also going to be many who are going to embrace the good news about Jesus. They're going to welcome Jesus. And so today, when we come to this town, Jesus and his disciples, they are welcomed in by Martha. Martha opens her home to them. A Martha who is so keen to be the perfect host. And yet in this very short account uh, this morning, we see Jesus lovingly show Martha, show us that we are not the real host. That we need to know our place. But as with that restaurant example, knowing our place, it isn't an oppressive thing. It's a liberating, it's a joyful, a delightful thing. And so as we go through this passage this morning, two things that we're going to be considering. First off, you're not the boss. Secondly, you are beloved. You're not the boss then. Uh, Have a look with me at verse 38 of Luke 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. So Jesus comes to Martha's home. Uh, Her sister Mary is there. She's sitting at Jesus' feet. She's listening. And the reason this is significant is because Mary takes the position of a disciple. 
And so later on in the book of Acts, the second volume of Luke, when Paul speaks about his rabbinic training under this guy called Gamaliel, the actual literal wording is he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. In the first century, to be educated, to be a pupil of someone, the way that was described was to sit at their feet. It's a bit like maybe an apprenticeship today. Now, as far as we know, at that time, rabbis, they didn't have female disciples. In fact, uh, a non-biblical text from kind of around that time, it was written a century or so after the time of Jesus, but it records teachings and traditions and kind of cultural views around the time of Jesus and before. There's this non-biblical text that says, basically, to have a, a woman as a disciple, you might as well teach a lecture. It's like teaching someone whoredom. It's seen as that disgusting and horrific. You know, sometimes people say the Bible needs to move with the times. That the Bible moved the times. It's when we step outside the confines of Scripture that we find things are oppressive and destructive. So at that time, it wasn't the done thing to have female disciples, for a rabbi to have female disciples. And yet here is Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him in this position of being a disciple. And Jesus doesn't mind one bit. The harvest is plentiful, and that includes men and women. Mary takes her place at Jesus' feet, listening, but we see in verse 40... But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Martha was distracted. And that word distracted means to be pulled away. And the implication is there was space there for Martha too. Martha could have sat with her sister Mary at the feet of Jesus listening to him. There was space for her to be a disciple. But she's pulled away. It's not that... Jesus forbids her from taking that place. It's not that she's pushed away, she's pulled away. And what is she pulled away by? She's distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, literally with much serving, with much ministry. Now, now, no doubt, uh, Martha, she wants to be a good host. She wants to provide for what is needed. There's all these different jobs that she's trying to get done. Her mind is worrying with her. I need to sort this and I need to organize this. I'm rushing from place to place. And yet she's being pulled away from sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him. How easy do you find it to listen? It's one of those things that we think actually is quite simple until we, we have to do it speaking to someone the other week, uh, and they astutely observed that actually few people are good listeners. It's not that easy. We get so easily distracted. Sometimes we're thinking about other things that we need to do and that we need to sort out and we need to organize, or maybe we're thinking about how we're going to respond, what we're going to say next in the conversation. We don't find it easy to listen. And what about now? What about in a Sunday service? How, how easy do you find it to listen then? I know it's a little unfair because some of it is based on how engaging the speaker is, and you've got me again. But 
we do get distracted, don't we? We get pulled away by different things. Our mind is whirring of all these different things that we need to do and sort uh, and organize. And maybe sometimes we're, we're sitting here uh, and we're wondering, did I, did I put the cooker on? Will food be ready when I get home? Did I leave the hob on? Well, I need to get petrol on the way back. You know, how much is petrol going to cost at the moment? And how's that going to work with a budget? I, I confess the times in services where I easily get distracted. Sometimes before a service, trying to think of things that I need to, to do. And once the services have started, you know, I need to organize this and sort this thing out. We used to meet in a, a school at a previous church for us, and I knew someone who worked in that school, and they used to find it hard to concentrate because they'd look around and see all these jobs that needed doing in the school. When someone's preaching, particularly if I'm preaching the following week on the next passage, my mind starts worrying on how does this connect with what's coming next. And before I know it, I'm planning out the next week rather than listening to what's being said now. And we easily get pulled away. We get distracted. When it comes to listening to Scripture, reading Scripture, whether that's here in a service, whether it's at home, again, easily our minds start worrying. All these jobs that, that need to be doing, and we suddenly think, oh, I need to sort that, and I need to organize that, and have I posted this? Uh, and this list grows large in our minds, and like Martha, we're pulled away. Because we feel there's all these different things that need our attention. And our minds are so full of things that we need to do, there's little space for anything else. And though we have this opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet, Jesus doesn't push us away. And yet so often we're pulled away. Last week we considered a little of the life of Corrie ten Boom. Uh, and this is one of the things she said, that if the devil can't make us bad, he will make us busy. Martha is busy. She's pulled away by being busy. We easily get pulled away. And you know, we get pulled away when we put ourselves in the position of provider. I need to sort this. I need to do this. It's all down to me. Isn't that what lies behind a lot of our distractions? This is what I need to do. And the desire to serve, it's a good thing. But we can seek to do a good thing a wrong way. Martha's problem isn't that she is seeking to serve. Martha's problem is she's seeking to serve from the position of provider. She's put herself in the position of provider. And we can easily do the same. We easily take on God's role. We make ourselves the boss. You know, one of the indications that we do that in our lives is when we start to become stressed and easily frustrated with others. Verse 14, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him, that's Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Martha's frustrated. She's frustrated at at Mary, but I think really she's frustrated by her own limitations, and she responds with this frustration. And we do it all the time. 
You know that moment where you're on a train and the announcement comes over and says, ladies and gentlemen, we're sorry to tell you that this train is delayed. Damien knows that one well. And how do people respond? Well, Damien could probably tell you. Sometimes it may be an eye roll and a sigh. But there can be quite some vehement verbal complaining. Some people can become quite angry. And it's not as though the train driver or or the guard has deliberately sabotaged your journey. If the storm blows some branches or, or a tree onto the track, it's not something that the train company have planned and organized. Now, these things happen. But we're so used to controlling our lives. We're so used to getting things the way that we want. We can get our coffee exactly the way that we want. If you like coffee, I'm not a coffee drinker. And you can buy the sort of fancy machines. You can have it in your home. You can have coffee just the way that you want it. You can go to your home. You can flick a switch and you can get light instantly. Or press another button and the heating, okay, you may not get the heat instantly, but it's going to kick in. We're so used to controlling our lives that it becomes a rude awakening when we experience these situations like a train delay, when we're not in control. And we've placed ourselves in a position of provider. We've, we've made ourselves the boss. And so then when our plans are hindered, it becomes an assault to our very being. If we think that we're the provider, we're the boss. And that's why a delayed train can feel like the end of the world. Because suddenly we see control slipping through our fingers and it petrifies us. Because we cannot control everything. But if we elevate ourselves to that level of being the boss, when our plans are thwarted, we're exposed for being incompetent. We're incapable. And then because we've embraced this lie that we are the ones who have to take charge of our lives, when these weaknesses are exposed, suddenly it becomes this fight for survival. Because we've been told we need to be in that place, and so we need to be competent. And so when our incompetence is exposed, it's game over. We fight for survival. We lash out. We attack others. And so we say, my plans and my goals, they would succeed if it wasn't for that person or if it wasn't for that situation. I am capable. I can do this, but it's, it's them. They're hindering me. I am patient. They press my buttons. Now, they keep winding me up. It would work if it wasn't for that person or that situation. And so Martha complains. I'm failing here in my role as provider, and it's Mary's fault. Lord, tell her. She needs to know her place. She needs to be here with me in the kitchen, helping me. Lord, tell her. And Jesus basically says no. Martha, it's not Mary who needs to know her place. It's you. It's us. You have taken on yourself a position that you were never meant to have. You need to know your place. You're not 
the boss. But it's better than that. You are beloved. You are beloved. You are deeply loved. And so to our second point, verse 41 to 42, we read of Jesus' loving and liberating rebuke. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And here, that repetition of Martha's name, it's a way of expressing emotion. We'll see it later in Luke 13, where Jesus expresses his sorrow over Jerusalem. And he laments, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Now, I've longed to gather you. I've longed to care for you. And so there's great Emotion, affection in what Jesus is saying here. It is a rebuke, it is a correction, but there is deep affection in it. And Jesus acknowledges, you know, where Martha is. And Martha, I can see you're worried and you're upset about all these things, running around the house trying to get everything ready, trying to get everything to prepare, to make sure there's enough. And yet, sitting in Martha's house is the one who has already fed over 5,000 people with a young boy's packed lunch. And she's worried and she's stressing that there's not enough. Jesus is saying, "This, this this isn't your burden to bear. He meets Martha, he meets us. This role of provider, that's not the position that you are to take. You're not the boss. Go back to that restaurant illustration. You're not, you're not taken to that restaurant for the purpose of being stressed out in the kitchen. It's not people are playing a cruel joke on you. It's because they love you and they want to gift something to you. You're not there to provide the meal. You're there to have the meal provided for you. And in the message of the gospel, we see that God enters into This world, God incarnate, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, enters into this world. But God doesn't become one of us so that we can more effectively meet his needs. He needs nothing. God became one of us so that he could meet our deepest needs. Verse 42, few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Mary's chosen what is better uh, and that word there is uh, literally, she's chosen the better portion. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that word portion is used to describe maybe a portion of food, sometimes a portion of a treasure or riches. But it's also used to speak of God. God as the ultimate portion. So there in Psalm 16. God is the ultimate treasure as we've been singing this morning. Christ our treasure. The one who ultimately satisfies. And here Jesus says, look, Mary's chosen that better portion. And it will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen what is better by being ministered to by Jesus. 
And this doesn't mean that we're just mere consumers, that we're to never serve and we're to never minister to one another in any way. Remember, Jesus has sent out the 72 just prior to this, who've gone out on this ministry, have gone out to serve. We're not called to be spectators. But neither are we expected or are we designed to be self-sufficient, self-sustaining beings. That's not who we are. It's not how we're made. Life does not originate with us. And if we stop and we think about it, we're aware of that fact. Every breath that we breathe, every bite of food that we eat is God's gracious reminder to us that we don't possess life within ourselves. We need to be given something. We're not self-sustaining. We're not self-sufficient. We are dependent. Life comes from outside of us. Mary has chosen the good portion. Rather than putting herself in that position of being provider, as Martha has done, as we so easily do, she puts herself in that position of sitting at Jesus' feet. She knows her place. And knowing her place is not an oppressive, it's not a demeaning thing. It's liberating. It's life-giving. Mary recognizes she's not the boss. She's not the provider. And going against cultural, going against worldly narrative, she chooses this better portion, which is to be nourished by God. Now, what about us? See, God is is the boss if we want to use that terminology. We are dependent upon him. And the world doesn't like that message. It's something we're told to resist, to fight against. And the world does not like that message because it doesn't know God. It doesn't know God. And maybe you you hear that message of being dependent upon God, that, that he is the boss, that he's the one who wants to be in charge, and something just doesn't feel right. We don't like it, but we don't like it because we don't know who he is. And yet Jesus reveals to us what God is like. In Jesus, God is made known. He is the image of the invisible God, we're told. He's the exact representation of his being. So when we look at Jesus, the invisible is made visible. And it's through Jesus, those who are far off are brought near. And in Jesus, we know God. Only in Jesus do we know God. And that's not just intellectually, but relationally as well. The world does not like the message that God is the boss and we are dependent. Talking about in that video, catechizing. The world catechizes us. It, it teaches us. Saying this is, this is horrible. You don't want that. Fight against it. The world does not like the message that God is the boss and we are dependent because it does not know God. Do we know what God is like? Do you know God through Jesus Christ? 
that he is not an oppressive tyrant. First and foremost, he is father. And for some, that may be a term that puts you off. Because of some of your experiences of, of fathers in this life, he's not a father like that. He is the father that all earthly fathers are meant to reflect. He is the sustainer. He is the provider. He is the giver of life, the giver of all good things. We see that as Jesus gave himself for us even when we were against him. And we had no interest when we saw God as the enemy, when we fought against him. Jesus Christ laid down his life that we as enemies might be made friends. This is who God is. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And the reality is we are dependent beings. We are dependent upon God. And that is a good thing precisely because God is good. He's not an absent father. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're but dust. He moves towards us. He doesn't push us away. We're pulled away. We run away. We need him. And we saw last week that we, we cannot justify ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot love as we are called to love. We need Jesus. We are dependent. And we'll continue this theme next week as we move to chapter 11, as we look at this theme of, of prayer and Jesus speaks of asking, ask your heavenly Father for the things that you need because we are dependent. And he's the one who graciously gives. He's not holding back. He's more willing to give than we are to ask. Now we are not the boss, but we are beloved. And I think it's good for us, it's healthy to remind ourselves of our smallness. I have an advantage um, in that every time I try and look at anyone in the eyes. But to be reminded of our smallness. There's so much in our, our modern life makes the world smaller, makes us big. And we have access to the internet, kind of all knowledge through all human history at the touch of our fingertips. And international travel, international communication. The world suddenly seems very small. We seem quite big. We easily think, well, of course we're the provider. It's good for us to be reminded of our smallness. I like getting out into open spaces. At university, I love walking down the beach at night with the stars overhead. I hear it's great just go out on the heath or stand at the top of sort of Thurfield and look out at the vast expanse and just take in, you know, I am small. There's a psalmist, Psalm 8. When I consider the heavens, the, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place. When I look at the vast expanse of everything and I see how small we really are. And say, but God, what, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man, human beings, that you care for us. Not because we're, we're big and we're significant, we're small. And yet, God cares for us. Having that awareness of our smallness, I think it increases something of our wonder. 
And if you're looking for something practical to do this week, why don't you go out? Go out on the heath at some point. Just take in the, the vastness of I mean, just a, a small glimpse, isn't it, really, of creation. You can see over sort of Cambridgeshire, can't see the earth, can't see, see the solar system or, or the Milky Way galaxy and just how small we are in that. But just get a sense of your smallness with that. Stand under the stars. Take in that sense of smallness. It's not something that we need to fight against. It's a good thing for us to be aware of. To know that we're not the provider. We're not the sustainer of our lives or of anyone else's. We are dependent and that is a liberating, wonderfully freeing truth. That we are dependent. Why? Because God is utterly dependable. In Jesus, we're given everything that we need. And so in the tasks that lie before us, and whether those are just the seemingly mundane tasks that we have to do every day throughout the week, or this ministry that God has called us to as His people, in proclaiming the good news of the gospel, inviting others in to come and see and to know and to experience the forgiveness and the life that is in Jesus Christ, Now, all of this, it's not down to us and our ability. It's not like we just need to knuckle down, grit our teeth, and plow on under our own steam. We can't do that. Rather, we are to come to God humbly and yet expectantly, seeking to be nourished by Him. We can't serve others unless we are being served, we are being nourished by God Himself. Now, in this coming week, I don't imagine you are going to find yourself in your favorite restaurant wrestling with the chef. And yet every day, we face a similar decision. What portion will you take? The portion of your own making? Or that better portion, that good portion of what God has lovingly provided for us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, indeed we felt we'd received the sentence of death. We were under great pressure beyond our ability to endure. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Father, I don't know the exact pressures that people here in this building or maybe people who are listening online are facing. Thank you, Father, that you do know. And we thank you that that those pressures, whether those are ones that we've put on ourselves or maybe ones that have been put on us uh, by others, Lord, that they're not beyond your power and ability to deal with. And, And even in these times when we face these pressures, Lord, your purpose as you revealed to Paul is that our dependence would not be upon ourselves, but on you and on you, Lord, who raises the dead so that we might experience and know Lord, that life, rather than trying to to make it happen by our own strength. 
Lord, to experience the life as you would have us. Lord, in knowing you, knowing your Son, Jesus Christ, and on one day sharing in the fullness of your kingdom. Father, we, we pray for ourselves as well as we face challenges in, in following Christ, as, as Jesus has said, that they would come. Although we wouldn't seek to manage them again by our own strengths and our own strategies. Lord, but with a joyful and humble reliance upon you. Lord, may we see, may we know uh, more deeply, Lord, that great delightful truth that we are not self-sufficient, self-sustaining beings, but that we are dependent upon you and you are utterly dependable. Open our eyes afresh to that truth. May we see the riches and the glories of Christ and you this day, this week, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or would like prayer relating to anything you've just heard, then please do get in touch. We would love to hear from you. You can do so by emailing us using hello at thurfieldchapel.org or fill in the contact form on our website or send us a message on social media. Thank you again. Please do join us next week online or in Thurfield itself at one of our services or events. We would be delighted to welcome you. God bless.